0: Father in heaven, we are ever so grateful that you orchestrate in your providence situations in life where we encounter people that bless us, where we encounter people that remind us of the goodness of Jesus, of his love, and they inspire us. And this week, Lord, we have been inspired. We've been moved by the presence of your Holy Spirit. We've made some tough decisions, we've made some great decisions, and we've made some hard decisions. For many of us, this is the beginning of healing through a lot of painful experiences. For others of us, this is the beginning of true, sincere, and genuine spiritual life and revival. And we want to ask and pray, Lord, that you would keep each of us, including the preacher, close by Jesus' side that we would never stop trusting in him, leaning on his everlasting arms to bear us through the times ahead of us. Tonight, Lord, we pray that you would use this man one more time. You know that he is nothing. We know that he is nothing. But even if he doesn't know, Lord, we pray that you would use him in spite of himself and that you would not only speak through him, that you'll speak to him. May Jesus be seen. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. The good soldier. I originally wrote this sermon for missionaries that I had trained because after you train people for an entire year, you ask yourself, what in the world do I need to say to you? I've said everything there possibly is to say. I've blasted you I've corrected you, I've supported you, I tried to encourage you. Now that our time is up, what am I going to say to you? And so, as I was thinking about what to share with you all, because I feel like some of you guys are like my missionaries. You ask a lot of questions. Some of you guys ask ridiculous questions. Some of you guys ask hard questions. Some of you guys just ask questions just to ask questions. And you know that's true, you can say, man. And... Uh, <laughs> reminds me a lot of the missionaries that I get the privilege of working with from around the world every year. And so I thought I'll speak from my heart just as I spoke to them on this theme of the good soldier. Because we are, though we preach the good news and we're thankful for what Christ has done on the cross and we're thankful for the love of God, it is undeniable that we are in the midst of a war. And as we are in the midst of a war, the Bible employs the metaphor of a soldier, a soldier to describe the Christian life and therefore to teach us lessons about how we ought to carry ourselves and how we ought to move forward in our journey. So I take you to the book of 2 Timothy, some of the last words of the Apostle Paul to his young disciple before he died. Two chapters later, Paul would tell him, my time of departure is at hand. I know that I'm about to die. And I fought a good fight. And so he's counseling his young soldiers. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. When you're there, you can say amen. amen. If you're not there, say have mercy. Okay. If you don't have Bibles, say pray for me. Alright, it's a lot lower than it has been all week. Praise God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, are you there? Amen? Anybody else still need mercy? All right, mercy said no. That's right. So, I want to give you five points. How many? Five qualities of a good soldier. Five qualities of a good soldier as they are enumerated by the Apostle Paul to his young disciple Timothy. This is what the text says. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. The first quality of a good soldier, we find it in verse 4, Right there at the end, Paul tells Timothy, you were chosen to be a soldier. In other words, we call it in Christianity, you were called. And he starts off with thou in the old King James. In the new King James or modern translation, it is you, therefore. In other words, he is calling us as individuals. This is not about your friends. This is not about your social circle. This is not about your family. This is about you and I, our individual commitment to Jesus. And he says, you were chosen to be a soldier. Tell you right now, when I enrolled in the Marine Corps, everyone didn't get accepted. Everyone couldn't do 100 push-ups in less than 60 seconds. Everyone couldn't do a certain number of pull-ups in less than 60 seconds. Everyone couldn't even finish three miles of running. And the slowest person finishes in about 25 minutes, which is pretty slow in the Marines. Three three miles in 25 minutes, you're running by yourself the whole time. There are many people that were not chosen. But Paul tells Timothy, you were chosen. By Jesus to be his soldier. Recognizing that we are in the midst of a war. And so the first quality is to answer the call to be a soldier. Nothing worse than a man who puts on the uniform, professes to be in the military, and when the time of battle comes, he doesn't want to go to war. He doesn't want to answer the call to be a soldier. According to the military, you are considered a coward. You are a deserter. You are an individual who has now violated military law and code. And even further than law, you have dishonored yourself. That you lack courage. I love this statement in 1915 from Sir Ernest Shackleton when he wanted to scale the continent of Antarctica. And he put out this ad. There's debate about whether he actually put this ad out or not. But regardless of the fact, it serves for a good illustration. And he says in the newspaper, looking for people to go with him to Antarctica, he said this. Men wanted, capital letters, for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. I'm like, that's how you're recruiting people? And guess what? He had so many people recruiting, he couldn't even take them all. Because everyone, when they saw this ad in the paper, they said, look, this is something that I want to live on the very edge of life, that this is something everybody can do. That is the Marine Corps' claim to fame. Whenever you see Marine Corps advertisement, what do you see? The few, the proud, (laughs) the Marines. Why? The few. Everyone can't be a Marine. Right? That's why they say, what does the army stand for? Almost a Marine. Like, that's messed up. But that is the mindset. The few. Everyone can't be one. And so when Jesus gives this call to be a good soldier to be a soldier at all. You remember when that one disciple came up to Jesus in Luke chapter 9 and he says, Master, Master, I'll follow you whithersoever you go. And Jesus turned at him and he said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You claim you want to follow me wherever I go, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Animals will fare better than you if you follow Jesus. He says, listen, the bird has a nest, but I as the Son of Man have nowhere to lay my head. The call to be a disciple, the call to be a soldier, to recognize we were chosen, but we must answer the call. And I must speak to the men and the males in this room for a moment, because many of my messages are targeting you. Because too often in this generation, men are no longer men anymore. We don't know how to step up to what God has called us to be. We're over here trying to take the lead from women on how to be a man. How to carry ourselves. How to treat a lady. How to be respectful. Hugging or touching every kind of girl, you need to have some respect for yourself as a man. Tell you right now, when I... Before I was even a Christian, my dad said, you go around caring like that. Every girl thinks you're cheap. But you tell a girl she touches me, don't put your hand on me. I don't belong to you. Don't ever touch me again. Girl looks at me like, whoa, I'm sorry. I I didn't mean anything like that. You know why? Because you're going to respect me. You'll touch me when I let you know you can touch me. But I'm not the little flirting type. You want to go put your hand on my shoulder or whatever, laugh and giggle, save that for the other brother. And I guarantee you, listen to me, mark my words. You guys start acting like that on campus, women will behave different on this campus. When men carry themselves with a certain level of respect, I am supposed to be a man of God. You wouldn't roll up on a prophet and do that kind of craziness. You wouldn't start that, com- that kind of conversation with the preacher. Why are you going to start it with me? Because I'm 16? The reason why she's starting with you is because you carry yourself like you're 16. Rather than carrying yourself as a man, respect is not just given, it must be earned. And that is the heart of what it means to be a soldier. People see the uniform, they respect because they know what you've been through. So too many men, just boys, oversized boys, or maybe you're just male, but you're not a man. My dad, I remember he sat me down when I was 17. He said, Sebastian, what's the difference between a boy and a man? I'm like, one year. Because when I turn 18, I'm a man. My dad laughed. He said, no. The difference between a boy and a man is that you don't have to tell a man to take out the trash. He takes it out because it needs to be done. And when someone has to tell you what you need to be doing, you are a boy. I don't care what your age is. But when you do what is right because it is right, when you do something because it needs to be done, then you can know, I am now become a man. I take care of my responsibilities. But we want to lead some girl along, have a girlfriend, think we're going to sit here and play around, all this kind of stuff. That girl gets pregnant, now you're ready to be somebody's father? You can't even handle your own business. Do your homework. Get to class on time. Iron your shirt. No, I'm going to be real with you. I told you I'm going to be real with you. So when we talk about being soldiers, men always have this mindset about the military. Guess what you got to do in the military? Iron your stuff. And come to inspection with your stuff not ironed. He will make you look like a fool. How dare you come in front of me as your commanding officer looking like this? You call yourself a Marine, he will rip your rank off your uniform. Go back to the barracks. You can come see me next week when you're ready to be a Marine. Disrespecting this branch of service, men have died to be in this uniform. And think of when you apply that to Christianity. People have died so that you could have the Bible. And we leave the Bible all around campus. Forgot it in my room. Forgot it in my locker. Forgot it in my dorm. Left it over here in Bible class. People sealed the word of God with their blood. Did you know it was a crime to translate the Bible into English? Those are the soldiers that go before you. So now that we come into Christianity... These individuals are like, I'm willing to burn at the stake for what I believe. And men are hiding in secret caves under candlelight to copy the scriptures. And we treat this thing, though it came at the cost of people's lives, as if there's nothing to be gained. Then explain to me why this man died so that you could have it. We're talking about soldiers. This is real Christianity. Don't ever let anybody tell you being a Christian is being a punk or being a wimp or being somebody who's not strong. No, the Bible is clear. Jesus has soldiers. And tonight, permit me to remind us that Jesus has called us. He's called you to be a soldier. And all that it brings with it. The second point that Paul gives the quality of a good soldier is he says in the very first part of verse 3, you therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. In other words, does a soldier expect to go through difficult things, yes or no? Yes or no? Yes! You don't enter the military thinking like, oh, I'm going to have an easy time. I can tell you, man, I remember (laughs) when I went into boot camp, and you had these little guys who were like 17, super gung-ho, got their mom to sign the waiver so they they could join at 17. Yeah, hoorah, Marine Corps, yeah, man, we're hardcore. Then after the drill instructor walks in, goes ballistic, we're sitting there sleeping at night. These are the same guys crying themselves to sleep. I'm sitting there thinking, like, man, I'm from the city, man. I'm like... You got to do what you got to do. Here's this kid. Yeah, hoorah, Marine Corps tattoos and all this kind of stuff. And every night he's crying himself to sleep. What is wrong with you, man? And then tomorrow he's running out with the rifle. Oh, Marines! I'm in shock. You need to endure some hardness. We had a man when one time, you know, when, when one of these things they call in the military or in the Marine Corps, in your little squad bay, they have a front area called the quarter deck. And the quarter deck is where you get punished for anything you do. You blink, you turn, he told you not to turn, he told you not to look at him, you don't respond to him loud enough. Braxton, aye, sir. Do I sound like I'm your girlfriend, Braxton? Aye, sir. Oh, you want to whisper to me now? You have to yell every time he calls your name. You don't yell. He says, you know what, Braxton? Okay. You want to be a girl, huh? Come to the quarter deck. Then as you get up there with your other little fellow recruits, they won't even call you a Marine. They're like, you're a recruit. You're not a Marine. Then you come up there. You have your little camouflage uniform. They don't say, oh, yeah, take your shirt off. They say, yeah, take your blouse off. Since you want to be a girl, take your blouse off. You're like, "Uh, I don't have a blouse. I said, take your blouse off. You're like, all right, okay, (laughs) calm down. Take it off. The dude's like, okay, you're going to push. And so he had this special thing designed for us. Those of us who can't sit still, I was one of them. I just don't like mosquitoes landing on my face, whatever. He would just go crazy. Braxton, if you move one more time. And then he sent me up to the quarter deck, take your blouse off. Then he get there and he says, I got a special punishment for you. So he took the push-up and he says, I'm going to break the push-up into four parts. So he says, "When when you're down on the ground, that doesn't count. You're never to touch the ground. So he says, you need to push up off the ground. He's like, that's one. Then you need to go a little bit more up, that's two. Then you go a little bit past half, that's three. And all the way up is four. And when I say the number, you go to that position. So he would say, one, three, one. Three, two, one. And he did that for three hours. We're doing push-ups so long, there was a sweat silhouette of my body on the ground. And one of the kids, while we're pushing, right, this dude got it there for three hours. Up. Three, two, three, one, four, one. You guys want to move? Four, one, I'm going to make you move. Three, two. And all of a sudden we're like standing there and he says, two, and just stay there for a little bit. So you're just hovering over the ground, right? Your arms are shaking. We're doing push-ups for so long. And this guy next to me, there's four of us there. He just snaps. He collapses on the ground. Ugh. And all you hear is the drill instructor, get off my floor. Why are you on my floor? The guy's not responding. Get off my floor. And we're like, yo, man, get up. If you do what he says, he'll leave us alone. And all of a sudden, the kid just snaps. I don't have to take this, rushes the drill instructor, tries to attack him. I'm like, I mean, this guy teaches us combat. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that's not a smart idea. (laughs) So he goes in, boom. He's face down on the pavement, knee in the back of his neck, yelling, I don't have to take this. I got rights. I'm an American. And I'm like, (laughs) what? You're sitting there at two, like, this guy is crazy. (laughs) Why? Because he thought he was going to come to boot camp and get a full ride. He thought this was going to be like a little ride in the park. And when they pulled him off the floor, they said, listen, did you come here to be a Marine? Yes or no? Then you came for the hardest training there is. And you better learn to get used to it. Endure hardness as a good soldier. I remember their story from the early Roman Empire about enduring hardness. And the story goes that these Christians were worshiping and all of a sudden they found these men worshiping Christ, having a little evening vespers, kind of like what we're doing right now, except you wouldn't have it in a public place like this. So they were hiding somewhere, and someone told on them. So the Roman centurion sent in. He said, go get those Christians. It's against the law to be a Christian, to worship anybody besides Caesar. Take them. Then as he brought them and said, what do you want us to do with them, sir? He says, go down to the river in the middle of the night, in the middle of winter in Rome. And he says, take them to the river. Tell them to take all their clothes off and and to walk into the river. And then on the shore, I want you to light a fire. And as we stand around that fire, you tell those men, listen, here's your option. You're going to sit in this river in the middle of winter with no clothes on, or you can warm yourself by the fire when you're ready to renounce Christ and accept Caesar as Lord. And so the soldiers just warming themselves at the fire. And the Christians were there in the water. Didn't take long before they started shivering. Then in order to keep themselves, they got closer and closer to each other in the water. Silence. Then as they were there in that water closer and closer, they decided to start singing a song. So one of them started singing the song, 40 men of God are we, faithful forever, we shall be. Forty men of God, are we? Faithful forever, we shall be. So then it started picking up. They're all singing, Forty men of God, are we? Faithful forever, we shall be. Then all of a sudden, one guy breaks the rank. He starts heading out of the water. They stop singing. They're in shock. And as he comes out of the water, he kneels down before the centurion and he says, I renounce Christ and I accept Caesar as Lord. And everyone's like, no, don't do it. And he goes and he starts warming himself by the fire and they give him a blanket. And you see the centurion says, anybody else? And they were in shock. And then one of them said, 39 men of God are we, faithful forever we shall be. And they started singing this thing loud. And then all of a sudden, the governor heard their voices in the middle of the night singing this song. So he wakes up, puts on his clothes, and comes down to the river. He's like, what is this noise? The centurion says, well, sir, uh, these men are Christians. We caught them worshiping Christ, and we told them. He gave them the whole story. He's like, oh. So he stands there for a while, and they just keep singing the song. Hours, hours going by. And finally, the Roman governor (laughs) starts taking off his clothes. And after he takes off his clothes, he walks into the river, and they're all looking at him. Thirty-nine men of God are we. Faithful forever we shall be. And then he walked in, he said, no. Forty men of God are we. Faithful forever we shall be. And he died in that river. It was when he saw their endurance of hardness for their faith that it convinced him. To give up Caesar and to accept Christ. The second quality of a good soldier is to endure hardness. Third quality of a good soldier, the Bible says in verse 4 of 2 Timothy 2, he says, No man that wars. No man that what? That wars. What does that mean? That means no man that goes to war. In other words, no man that engages in warfare. In other words, he is expecting that you as a soldier, you go to war if there is a battle to be fought. Yes or no? Yes. So the third quality of a good soldier is he goes to war. She goes to war. What does this mean practically? This doesn't mean, okay, I need to go fight in the Lord's army, get my rifle, whatever. No, 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 no. That means... We need to be involved in evangelism. If we're going to be a soldier, we are called to be active. It's one thing to come here and learn, to pray, to listen to weeks of prayer, but I can tell you right now, if this is all you do, your spiritual life will die. If your spiritual life is dependent upon the quality of the preacher or the quality of the week of prayer, you won't make it. Therefore, if we're going to be called to be a good soldier, say, I'm going to answer the call. i got to engage in warfare. And when we engage in warfare, this is when we see the true power of God. Many individuals, many young people are like, where are the miracles? Where is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Where do we see the power of God? And I tell them, if you get involved in ministry, in evangelism, you will then see the power of God. The second summer, I went call portering door to door. I was doing big books, selling the, whole, the huge uh, blue Bible story books. $300, $400, door to door, in like the middle of nowhere Michigan. And while I was going door to door, I came to this street and I thought for sure, Lord, this is God forsaken, I'm skipping this street. I'm not even going to drive here and God's like, I thought you came here to do my will. Okay, fine. So I pull up into the street. Clearly, these people just moved in. They don't even have grass. They don't even have steps into the front door. I'm like, Lord, are you serious? You want me to try to sell these people $400 books? They don't even have steps to get into their house. The Lord says, you need to go where I tell you to go. So I walk in, knock on the door, and little old discouraged me, stubborn little Christian. I walk up to the door, knock on the door. I'm like, here, there's no steps. So I'm just standing right here. The door's right here. She opens the door. She's like, hi. She has three little kids, whatever. I say, yeah, man, we're working with the Blue Bible Story Company. You know, these books are like $400. Do you think you can afford this? Totally trying to kill the sale. I'm trying to kill it because I'm like, Lord, this is a waste of time. Ma'am, these books are $400. Do you think you can pay that? She's like, yeah, this is a little steep. Then all of a sudden, she says to me, well, look, I have to run. Can you come back tomorrow? I'm like, ah, oh, this excuse. Um, yeah, ma'am, we usually don't come back to homes, you know. We have a lot of other people who are interested in the books, blah, blah, blah. You use the usual canvassing response. She's like, no, no, please, 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 please come back to my house tomorrow. I promise I'll buy something from you. I'm like, this is odd. So I'm like, all right, I will come back. So the next day, I'm driving out, and as I'm passing that street, Holy Spirit reminds me. You told that woman you were going to come back. I'm like, Lord, you know people use that as an excuse. They just don't want to say no. So they tell you come back when they're going on vacation. That's what they do. So the Holy Spirit's like, listen, boy, you need to go back to the door. Okay, (laughs) all right, Lord, I'm going back to the door you are God. You're the potter, I'm the clay. I go back to the door. As I knock on the door, she opens it up. She says, thank you so much for coming back. Come in, come in, come in. So I step into her house. She tells, ushers me into the kitchen. As I sit down at the kitchen table, there's a check. It already has filled out signature, but it just doesn't have the amount and who to write the check to. And I'm like, Okay, this lady's serious. So I pull all the books, books out my bag. So I'm like, well, I'll just tell her all these books come together. So I'm getting ready for my canvas. She walks in. She says, so I want to buy everything you have. You want to buy everything? She's like, everything. Sure. Uh, so I give her the amount. She starts filling out the check. No questions asked. I didn't even have to canvas her. I was like, this is crazy. And I'm like, the Lord is like, didn't I tell you? Then she says, can I ask you one question? I said, sure. Ask me. Are you an angel? I was like, no. (laughs) She said, are you sure you're not an angel? I'm like, I'm sure. You can ask my mom. (laughs) She might tell you I'm the opposite of an angel. I am not an angel. She says, okay, I'll believe you, but here's the thing. This is why I'm asking you this. She says, a year ago, before I moved into this house, I just moved into this house last week. I lived in a completely different state. And when I was in that old house, I had a dream. And in that dream, I was talking to an angel. I didn't see its face, it was just in light. And I was talking to this angel, and then all of a sudden, When I woke up from the dream, I saw the light of the angel in my room, and then it just zoomed out the window. So I ran to the window to get a good look at it, and it was gone. I couldn't find it. But she says, when I put my head back in the window of the room, there was this smell in the room. I've never smelled it before. And she said, I haven't smelled that smell until you came to my door yesterday. And when you came to the door, you had this smell. And she said, I was so... Shocked, I said, come back tomorrow, because I said, if he's really an angel, he'll come back tomorrow. I'm looking at this woman like my jaw is dropping. She's like, so when you came back, she says, even right now, you have the smell. It is heavily on you. I'm like, I don't have any cologne. I mean, it's a little hot out here. <laughs> But I left that house knowing this one thing. A year ago, God had prepared her for me to come to her house. And to have an experience like that, when I walked out of that house, you could not have convinced me that God did not exist. There's no way. How do you explain that? What do you tell this woman? You're making it up? You're Looney Tunes? No, in her mind, she's like, I know what I experienced. And because of that, God will do these kind of things to convince people that he sent you to them to preach. To confirm your message. Engaging in the warfare. The fourth quality of a good soldier. (laughs) Verse 4. He says, no man that goes to war. So if you're going to engage in the warfare, he says, entangles himself with the affairs of this life. The fourth quality of a good soldier is that he does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life. You see, we have to be involved with the affairs of this life. We have to go through the various things that we have to do, homework. These are the affairs of this life. But he says we should not be entangled where these things have us bound. We shouldn't be so deeply involved in certain activities of this world that we can't do the business of another world. You see, there's a certain focus that comes to a soldier. You don't Listen to me, when you're in the military and they send you out on mission, you're not over here getting text messages. You're not over here policing some city in Iraq or Iran or Kuwait or wherever you are walking around like, oh yeah, let me see what somebody posted on my Facebook. Are you crazy out of your mind? You are in a war situation. So, yeah, when you come back from patrol, yeah, check your email, write to your mom, send a letter to your girlfriend, whatever you want to do. But when it's time to go to war, we need to be focused. One of my favorite stories, because I used to be really much into these war situations, battles and that whole genre, if you will. And I remember reading about the Spartans. The Spartans are like super inspiring to read about in terms of their dedication. And the Spartans, <laughs> they had this story about when they were fighting um, the Persians. And they had this general, his name was Leonidas. You said what? You said Leonidas. And the Spartans were so serious that their mothers told them, when you go to war, if you don't win, don't come back home. That's what their mom told them. That's how serious the Spartans were about war and about winning and about excellence. But this story always inspires me whenever I read it. It says, Leonidas and his men, 300. They were completely outnumbered and completely surrounded by Persians coming from every side in every direction. And there was this little wayfarer who was passing by. And as the wayfarer was passing by and saw the Spartans there with their spears, with their shields, with their armor on, and he said, Uh, it looks like you know you guys are going to war. Yes. They said, Stranger, where are you going? The stranger said, I'm going to Sparta. He said, so Leonidas turned to the stranger and he said, stranger, tell the Spartans that we have behaved as they have wished us to and we are buried here. When you get to Sparta, tell them that we fought like Spartans and we are buried here in this place. And if we're going to be a good soldier, I'm going to tell you right now, as a military person, the most honorable way to die is in the battlefield. It's to have given your life in service. That's the greatest sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go down, if I'm going to die in this life before Jesus comes, I want to be able to turn to somebody. Before I die, and I want to be able to say, stranger, tell Jesus that I have behaved as he has wished me to, and I am buried here. Tell Jesus when you see him come in the clouds. I've been a good soldier, and I've given my life in service to him. The final quality of a good soldier, in verse 4, he says, he does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. The fifth quality of a good soldier of Jesus is that it is his constant aim. To please him, who has chosen him to be a soldier. I remember that right at the end of Marine Corps boot camp, we have something called the crucible. Three and a half days, the most intense part of your life. It's a reason why they call it the crucible. As you're preparing for the crucible, we have these things called MREs, which are meals ready to eat nastiest stuff ever but when you're out in the woods for long periods of time you kind of don't care (laughs) and so as they're handing them out um, one MRE represents one meal and so you're supposed to get three MREs uh, per day we're going to be out there for three and a half days so you should get 10 or 12 MREs so as a result of that The crucible is, you only get enough for one day. You get three MREs for three days. They're like, we want you to know what it's like to be in war. And so as they hand out these MREs, right, I'm taking mine, I get ready to go and the first part of the the crucible is about a 12, 13 mile hike. You got like 70 pounds on your back, your rifle, your boots, everything. Everything you need is on your back. And as I came to the first match point, five miles in, we sit down and like, hey, guys, it's time to eat, get some water, rehydrate. I look at my bag. I have one MRE. I'm like, what? Someone stole two of my MREs. So I have one meal for three days. I'm like, this is crazy. And right at the end of the crucible, The last part of the crucible its about maybe 10 to 14 miles hike. You start off at about 3 in the morning. You average about 2 to 3 hours of sleep a day on less food with more activity. And you march in to what's called the parade deck. And as you march into the parade deck, you kind of come to this huge, I mean, you could call it a parking lot, whatever, but this is where we do our little drill. And as we're coming into that place, you wait there, and they tell you as you're standing, you get in line, and then they say, okay, you know, make ranks. And then as we make ranks, they say, parade, rest. So, boom, put your hand behind your back, right, your spread. And they tell you, if you lock your legs and you pass out, you have to do it all over again. So make sure you do not pass out. And so as we're walking onto the parade deck, a <laughs> couple of my fellow recruits, we were talking. We said, you know, the general's going to come out. He's going to give us a speech the first time you get to meet the general. And as the general comes out to give a speech and we're walking onto the parade deck, one of my fellow recruits, he says, Braxton, are you going to cry, you know, after the ceremony, whatever? I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm a Marine. I'm not going to cry. Are you going to cry? No, nah, man, I'm not going to cry. So, you know, it's like three, four of us. We're not going to cry, man. We're going to be hard. Okay. So as we get there, he calls us, you know, to attention, parade rest. We're standing there, parade rest, waiting, bouncing our legs, making sure we don't lock and pass out. And then they, they tell you to basically spread out. And as you spread out, you know, two arms, lengths, whatever, then your sergeant and your staff sergeant, the people who were your drill instructors, they come in. And they go from marine to marine. And so what they do is they come, and so my friend was in front of me. And as they come in front of you, they stop and they say, attention, right? So he snaps to attention, he salutes. Then after he salutes, he says, at ease, right? So you just kind of relax. Then after he relax, he comes up to my friend and he's like, you know, Lando, you've been working hard. You put your heart into this thing, and he starts pinning his rank on his uniform. And he says, you're going to be a good Marine. Then he steps back. He says, good morning, Marine. And my friend breaks down starts crying. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this guy's like crying uncontrollably. So then he comes over to me, Sergeant Dooman. I'll never forget it. He comes in front of me, Braxton, attention. I salute him, put my hand down. He says, at ease. Then he comes, starts pinning on my rank. He's like, Braxton, you got a lot of heart. I punished you, (laughs) and my goal was to break you. He said, you didn't break. So he says, I'm proud of you. You'll be a good Marine. Then he steps back. Salutes me, says, good morning, Marine," and I break down and start crying. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and then my friend's looking at me like. <laughs> but I tell you tonight, these stories to make the point that as soldiers of Jesus, we are heading to our own crucible, the Bible says a time of trouble which has never been seen since there was a nation. And as we go through this time of trouble, you will see all the people who fooled around, who thought it didn't matter if they knew certain Bible texts, who didn't care if they prayed and stored up oil and experience with God and with the Holy Spirit. You will find some of the most brazen. Individuals now will be lost. They won't make it. Many people drop out of the crucible. They have to start over. But we're not going to be marching onto some parade deck to meet a general. The Bible says we're going to be marching onto a sea of glass. And as we march onto that sea of glass, It's not a general, but Jesus himself. He will meet us. And as he meets us, just like my sergeant, he will come to every single Christian. And he will stand in front of that Christian. He will look them in the eye. And Jesus will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. You have been faithful. And you will reign with me. And Jesus will take not rank, but he will take a crown. And he will put it on your head. And he will step back and he will say, good morning, your majesty and you'll go to the next Christian. And I can tell you right now, I don't have to ask if people are gonna cry. Because why did we cry when the, when the sergeant pinned our rank on and said, good morning, Marine? You know why we cried? Because we remembered those pushups. We cried because we remembered all the days we wanted to quit. We remembered all the times that we wanted to give up. When we would go to sleep at night and we'd be thinking to ourselves, why did I ever do this? This was such a mistake. And now I'm stuck. I can't even get out of this thing. And the next morning they wake you up 4 o'clock in the morning just the same. Week after week, day after day. So, as a result of that, if you guys are going to talk, you should just go to the back. I'm talking to you. Why? Because we remembered all the times we were tested and we struggled. And I can promise you when we get to heaven and we stand before Jesus and we think of all the times we wanted to give up on the christian life all the times we thought it was too hard all the times we were like lord i'm not going to make it all the times we lost heart we lost love we started backsliding we felt like we lost our first love And on that resurrection morning when we make the trip to heaven with Jesus and we get to that sea of glass and he comes and he says, you, Kayla, you have been faithful. And you know in your mind you have not been faithful. Then he'll say, you, Marley, you have been faithful. And I will make you ruler over many. And you know in your mind you have not been faithful. I know in my mind I have not been faithful and yet Jesus in front of God, in front of unfallen worlds and in front of angels, he will crown you Lord with him. And he will say in their presence, you have been faithful. And that's why the very next step is what we could never do in boot camp. We would never take off our rank and lay it at the feet of the general. But when it comes to Jesus, everybody will take their crowns off. Because they say, I don't deserve this. It is not that we have been faithful, Jesus. The reason why we're here is because you have been faithful. And all you will hear is the words, crown him. Crown him. Crown him. And the Bible says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And you and I will bow in His presence and say, You are the one that has a name above every name. And you have been faithful. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. to invite my wife to sing one more song. You can bow your heads, close your eyes. <laughs> and as she sings this song, this is my appeal. Very simple. Do you want to be a good soldier? Do you want to answer the call to be a soldier? Are you willing to endure hardness? Are you willing to not entangle yourself with the affairs of this life? Are you willing to to make it the purpose of your life, to please Jesus, who has called you to be a soldier. Father in heaven, you have chosen each one of us to be a soldier. But Lord, we don't want to just be soldiers, we want to be good soldiers. And so we pray that you would teach us to answer the call that we would step up, that we would arise to the call that rests upon our life as youth. As he told Timothy, let no one despise you because you are young, but to be an example among the believers in word, in lifestyle, in faith, in love, in purity. We pray, Father, that you help us to endure hardness as good soldiers. We pray, Lord, that you will keep us from entangling ourselves with the affairs of this life, but to always make time to engage in evangelism. And may it always be our aim to please him who has chosen us to be soldiers so that one day One day soon, we can look Jesus in the eye and we can say, you have been faithful. This is our prayer. And we trust that you will help this to be our experience. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.